At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we're going to be in part three of a sermon series we began a couple of weeks ago talking about how Jesus is the light of the world. We began by looking at Jesus' amazing statement in John 8 that he was the light of the world. And then last week we looked at a prophecy some 700 years before Jesus was born in Isaiah chapter 9 that also talked about how Jesus was the light of the world and what that meant for us. Today we're going to be in part three of that series looking at a number of different verses from Luke chapters 1 and 2 as well as back into Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 42. So that's where we're going to be today. But before we get there, I want to just ask a question. Um, what What are the gifts that you remember receiving as a child for Christmas? What are the gifts that you remember? Now, for some of you, uh, you you only have to think back like last year. You're still a child or you're a child at heart. How nice. Um, But but for others of you, you have to go back a little ways, don't you? And and I'm one of those that has to go back a little ways. So I was thinking about what are the gifts I remember from my childhood. And I thought of one particular gift. That Christmas morning that I came out and there was a basketball goal in our living room. Now, it didn't stay in the living room. Eventually, it made it to a pole that had been conspicuously placed in our front yard. I was excited that it went from a pole to a goal. And my dad and I played a little basketball later that day. I remember that gift, that Christmas. I also remember one particular Christmas when there was a Star Wars gift I really wanted, and I got it. And, and, and those two things, that was a good year at the Robinson House. But I, I think about those gifts, and those are two of the gifts I remember as a kid. But you know what? I'm pretty sure I got a gift every year for Christmas. And I don't even really remember the rest of them. How about you? How many gifts do you remember? The things, the stuff of Christmas is not what is stuck in my head and in my soul. You know what I remember most about Christmas? I remember our family coming down from Missouri. I remember sitting around the kitchen table for far too long telling stories and laughing and eating way too much food together. I remember playing game tournaments in the afternoon uh, with family and just enjoying those moments together. I remember going to church with my family on Christmas Eve night and hearing my dad sing Away in a Manger. Why I still remember my dad singing Away in a Manger is a story for a different day. But I remember my dad singing that song next to me. Those are the things that have stuck with me. Those are the things that I have treasured. How about you? Is this true for you also? The things that have stuck in your soul the most about Christmas are not the things, but the people and the experiences. You know, that's not just true of you and me. I I think it's also true of the very first Christmas. I think it's true of Mary and Joseph as they celebrated the birth of Jesus. Now, why do I think that? Well, Luke, when he writes his gospel, makes this statement. He says that, I I wrote this gospel, Luke says, by talking to eyewitnesses. Luke wasn't from that area. He was from a different area. But he talked to eyewitnesses who told him what had happened about Jesus' birth and life and ministry. And he recorded them in an orderly fashion so that they might be shared with people all over the world and through time, including us today. So who were the eyewitnesses that Luke talked to? Well, one of the eyewitnesses I believe Luke talked to was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, why do I think that? Well, I think that because in Luke's gospel, there is a lot of information that from a human perspective, only Mary would have known. 
the angel visit to Mary, for instance, her time with Zachariah and Elizabeth at, during her time of pregnancy, the, the experience of the shepherds visiting. There are very few people who would have had that information, but Mary would have had all of it. And so what we get in Luke's gospel, I believe, is the things that Mary treasured up in her heart, the things that she remembered and she meditated on and, and celebrated. Those are the things that Luke shares for us. And you know what she doesn't mention? You know what Luke doesn't mention in his gospel? What we would often consider to be the three most famous gifts of Christmas. Gold, frankincense, and what's the third one? Myrrh, right? She doesn't mention those things. Instead, she mentions other gifts, experiences, conversations, celebration with others around the birth of her son. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a number of different passages in Luke chapter 1 and Luke 2. We're going to see in those passages three other gifts, gifts of experience and, and moments shared, things said by others around the birth of Jesus that are quite instructive for us as we think about the significance of Jesus' birth and life. So I want us to look at these passages together. So where do we begin? Well, we begin by remembering the other three gifts. Not gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but the other three gifts. What are they? Well, the first of those gifts I want us to look at is the gift of Zechariah's prophecy. The gift of Zechariah's prophecy. Now, Zechariah had a very famous wife. What was his wife's name? Elizabeth. That's right. Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah and Elizabeth had a very famous son who was named... John would ultimately be John the Baptist. But their conception of John was really quite miraculous. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth had lived their entire lives without children. And they had thought that that just wasn't a part of God's plan for them, though their hearts longed for that gift. And then one day, while Zechariah, who was a priest, was, was doing ministry in the temple area, God appears to him and says, Guess what, Zach? Y'all are having a kid. And he is just overjoyed, if not, um, you know, just incredulous. He goes home, and through natural means, they're able to conceive and have a child who is John the Baptist. Now, during the time when his wife Elizabeth was pregnant with John, there is a, a, a visitation that comes to their house. Mary travels from Nazareth in the north down to spend time with them. And, and as they spend time together, they're talking and they're comparing notes. Remember, these are the only two women in the entire world who have been visited by angels before they conceived to have a child. They have some things to talk about. They're comparing notes. And they begin to realize that the, the, the birth of John, John would be the forerunner the promised forerunner who would go before Jesus, the Messiah, who would be born and follow after. And so they are celebrating this moment. So after John is born, Zechariah is led by God to prophesy about the birth of his son and the significance of his son's prominent cousin, Jesus. And we see that in, Zachar or in Luke chapter 1. In verses 68 and 69, he begins his prophecy this way. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He is celebrating salvation coming to the people of Israel, a redemption, God visiting them in some way. 
Now, he ends his prophecy by helping us know a little bit more about what that looks like. In verses 76 to 79, he says, And and you, child, speaking of his son, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet or the forerunner of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah in his prophecy says something really remarkable. He understood that Jesus' birth was going to do more than just bring some kind of military or political deliverance, but it ultimately was going to lead to salvation for the people in terms of the forgiveness of their sins. What a remarkable statement. And he described it in this graphic way. It would be like people who had endured a very long night of darkness, who suddenly found their darkness illuminated by the light of day. It was that joyful. It was that hopeful. Of this idea, C.S. Lewis talks and compares it to our experience of Christianity this way. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and in light of the reality of his identity as the Son of God, we are able to make sense of all else, reconciled to God through his death, but understanding the way to true life through his example, his direction, and his invitation for us to follow him. So we see in this very thing a a summary of the gift that Zechariah offers, the message of that gift. It is that after a dark night, the sun rises. We'll come back to this in a moment. But let's look at the second gift. The second gift was the gift of Simeon's sight. The gift of Simeon's sight. Who was Simeon? Simeon was a, a devout Jewish man who lived in Jerusalem and was was hanging out around the temple area when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to dedicate him after his birth. You know, we we at Wildwood a few weeks ago celebrated a a baby dedication on this stage where people who had a child came forward, they they offered a vow to raise this child up in in a Christian family, those kinds of things, and we celebrated with them as a church family. In, In Jewish culture, there was a way that they did that, and it was by going to the temple after your child was born and offering a sacrifice at the temple. Mary and Joseph, being devout Jews, bring Jesus to the temple to offer such a sacrifice. And when they bring Jesus to the temple... This guy named Simeon was there. Now, Simeon had an interesting aspect to his life story. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and 26, it says this. Now, there there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. How had that message been communicated? We don't know. But communicated, it was. Can you imagine living your life knowing that you would see Messiah come? I mean, this was amazing. And Simeon had this information. What if Jesus told us very clearly that we we would see him return in this life? It would shape the way that we lived and the things that we thought about. That is, in fact, what Simeon had experienced. And so when Simeon is there and he had this promise from God that he would see the Lord's Christ... It says in verses 30 and 32 this, 
Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He watched Mary and Joseph bring Jesus in. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. What was it that, that informed Simeon that Jesus was indeed the promised Savior of the world? We don't know exactly. But know that that he knew and understood what he was seeing. And he was celebrating the arrival of the Savior. And what that reminds us and tells us is that God's grace, his salvation, has a face. It's not just a book. It's not just a to-do list. It's not just some ethereal standard. But the grace of God had a face that looked like Jesus because that is, in fact, who Jesus was. So that when Simeon sees Jesus, he sees God's salvation. He sees his salvation. He sees the promised one. Grace has a face. That face is Jesus. We'll come back to this again as well. But let's look at that third gift. The third gift is the gift of Anna's celebration. Anna's celebration. Again, Simeon was in the temple when Jesus comes to be presented for dedication. Also, there was a woman there by the name of Anna. And Anna was a prophetess who was ministering in the temple area. It says this about her in chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. At this point, we see someone who is somewhat of a sympathetic figure for us, is she not? If she married at 14, her husband died when she was 21. Now she's 84. She's been a widow for 63 years. Lots of years isolated and alone. Our emotions are moved towards her. But what we see in Anna here is not someone that we are to pity. It is someone that we are to celebrate with. Why? Well, verse 38 tells us she sees Jesus in the temple. And it says, in coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She can't keep it inside. She's sharing it with anyone who would listen as she sees and recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. Now, how did she know Jesus was the Messiah? Remember, he's just a a baby. Maybe she heard Simeon talk. Maybe she talked to Mary and Joseph and and heard of what had transpired. We don't know exactly, but she was convinced. And we're reminded in Anna's story that hope on the inside is hard to hide. Genuine hope in Christ will not just stay on the inside of our lives, but ultimately will be experienced and known by those around us. That was Anna's story, and it's ours as well. Now, I go through these three gifts, three things that I believe Mary treasured and passed along to Luke to include in his gospel so that we would see them today. She treasured these things because they are celebrations of the identity of her son and all of the spiritual blessing that would come on the other side of Jesus' arrival. But it's also important for us to see these three things so that we understand that You know, there were people in Israel when Jesus came that recognized him as Messiah from the start. Not just the Magi from Persia, and not just the shepherds in the field, but people like Zechariah and Simeon and Anna also got it. And from the first days, were expressing and declaring the greatness 
of Jesus. Some 30 years before he begins his public ministry, before they ever saw him do any other miracles, they're offering these declarations of praise, these gifts and offerings to him. Now, what would it look like for us to give these kinds of gifts? Well, quickly, I just want to summarize those in three parts. The first thing I would think of with the gift one is that we might step into the light of salvation. You know, Zechariah in his prophecy talked about those who were in the dark, the sun has risen. It illuminates life around us. It provides hope and salvation and healing and forgiveness. Friends, if you are here today and you are living in some sense of darkness, understand that Jesus coming is the light that God intends to illuminate our present and provide a brilliant hope for our future. May you turn to Christ for forgiveness and trust in his death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and live in light of that hope every moment of your life. Step into the light of salvation. When we do, we are offering a gift similar to Zachariah's. A second gift, though, we might think of is this. Look to Jesus as the face of grace. Want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. Want to understand the way that God would interact with us? Look to the person of Christ. Certainly, God's word provides lots of direction for us from Genesis through Revelation. And there is no conflict between Jesus and the rest of Scripture. But some of us are more visual learners, aren't we? And we can look to the person of Christ to see how God really acts and what he really thinks of us and what he has done for us in real terms. You know, you might want to take some time in the new year and, and read the Gospels. Maybe begin the month of January and, and take a book like the Gospel of John and read it from beginning to end over the 31 days, just 20-some chapters. Spend some time in John's Gospel to get to know Jesus a little better. Because when we look to Jesus, we see the face of grace. Our hope of salvation is found in him. But a third thing I might suggest is this. Let your internal hope be seen by all. Let your internal hope be seen by all. You know, Anna had a hope, and that hope was experienced by those around her. They, they, they heard about it. They got to celebrate with her. And the hope that we have in Christ is, is never intended to just stay inside of us. What's on the inside ultimately needs to make it to the outside. I was thinking about that, uh, reflecting on an experience of the way my Friday started. I don't know how your Friday started, but my Friday started. I was kind of getting ready for the day, and about 6.15, my wife came in to our, our room, and before I, I knew what she was going to say, I knew what she was going to say because I could smell it. Our dog got sprayed by a skunk. <laughs> now, when we smelled this, I'm like, oh, my word. So I, we go outside. What was on the inside of that skunk went on the outside and impacted all the skunk was around. And not only did it impact them, but everyone that got around, the one that was around the skunk, smelled like skunk. So our entire house smells like a skunk. And you also need to know that on Friday mornings, we host a number of Norman High students who come over to our house for a time of prayer. <laughs> and my wife makes breakfast for them. And so she's making breakfast for these folks who are coming over. I'm in the backyard, like, you know, and, and just trying to clean up the dog, whatever, however I can, buckets of water, soap, all this kind of stuff. So I'm in the backyard. So there's this, this sweet little freshman uh, 
girl who shows up at the house, woman, young woman, she shows up at the house and she walks in. Our house smells just like a skunk. Now, Kimberly has lit every candle we own. It looks like a seance on the inside. But she walks into the skunk-smelling house. And you know what she says? Mrs. Robinson, it smells like Christmas in here. And, you know, my, my first thought, my first thought on that was, what a sweet young woman. My second thought was, what in the world does Christmas smell like at your house? Do you live with the Grinch? Stink, stank, stunk, right? So uh, I'm, I'm watching this whole thing unfold, but I, the point kind of began to settle on me a little bit. And that is that when you're with the skunk, everybody knows it. When we're with Christ, does everybody know it? You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about spreading everywhere we go the aroma of Christ. If we have been with him, the world around us can't help but notice. The way we treat them should be different. It should be instructed by the grace and mercy that we have seen from Christ. The things that we would would invite them to and encourage them about would be apparent because of who Jesus is and what he has done and the fact that we have been with him. God's plan to reach our community, God's plan to reach the world, friends, is that it would spread a person at a time from us to others. It was never intended to keep it here. May we spread the hope that we have in Christ to all we see. We might give them one of these books that are by the doors that we've been passing out all month and invite them to come and worship with us at Christmas time or, or just initiate with somebody and check in on them and see how they're doing. Be, be the hands and feet of Christ in our neighborhoods this season and in the new year ahead. Let your internal hope be seen by all. Friends, these are, are three different gifts that I want us to remember by looking to the Old Testament passage. But... Where did they get this idea about Jesus? Why is it that Zechariah and Simeon and Anna were so excited? What lit them up? Well, friends, the reason why they were excited was not just because the, the spirit or an angel pointed them in this direction, but what got them so excited was that they had an Old Testament that talked about the nature of the person of Jesus. They understood the gift that led to their gifts. We saw last week a prophecy that came some 700 years before Jesus was born in Isaiah chapter 9 that helped people have an expectation for what would happen when the son, the child, would be given. But today I want us to conclude by looking at some of the hope that we have in Christ as found in Isaiah chapter 42. Also, a prophecy given 700 years before Jesus was born, a prophecy that that Anna and Zechariah and Simeon would have been aware of. They were excited because they knew that this guy was coming. Speaking of Jesus in Isaiah 42, it says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Jesus was not just going to be a blowhard, not just another political leader who talked a good game, but he would have a heart for people. He would be the real deal through and through, God himself in human flesh. And for that, they had a hope. They were excited because this was the one who was coming. Not only that, when he came, he would treat people in surprising ways. He says, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. What's that idiom talking about? Tom Constable helps us understand this. He says, he, Jesus, would not discard what seemed to others useless. People just extinguish the wick or they they throw away the bruised reed or the brown banana. 
But it said he would not extinguish what seemed to others too spent. His calling was to save, not destroy. He would be faithful to his calling to bring forth justice to the nations. Why were they excited? They were excited because this one was coming. And when they saw Jesus, they saw the face of the one who would not discard the bruised reed or extinguish the flickering wick. Not only that, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. He won't be taken out or moved off track. Constable, again, helps us here. Not only would he not break or extinguish others, but the pressures and blows of others would not break or extinguish him. He could be counted on, friends. Why were they so excited? Why are we so excited? Because the one who showed up is the one who is always good, the one who is always just, and the one who restores the broken and saves the lost. This is what is made clear at the end of Isaiah's prophecy in 42. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Why were they excited? Because the one who was coming, who would bring their salvation, who would lead them to the light. What a blessing. I saw a story this last week speaking of a a Thai man who had spent over 50 days in captivity from uh, Hamas in Gaza. And after 50 days in captivity in some underground hole, some dungeon, he was led to safety. He had to walk two hours in the dark through those tunnels being led by someone to freedom. I, I was thinking, what would it feel like to have walked for two hours in the dark to get to your freedom? And then I thought for a moment, about the experience of all of humanity. All of humanity sat in the dungeon of our sin and its consequences, separation from God. And Jesus came and took us by the hand, lit the tunnel, and walked us to freedom. What a gift and what a blessing. Why do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Because the one who does not throw away the bruised reed, the one that comes to us in the dark and leads us to safety, has come. And by faith, we can be connected to him. The Son of Man came not to, to, to do anything but to seek and to save the lost. Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, Jesus came for us. So how do we remember his gift? Three quick things in closing. The first, I just want to ask the question, are you a bruised reed? Are you here today and you feel like someone that should be discarded because of the divorce, because of the addiction, because of the pain, because of the sin, because of the shame, because of the life circumstance that you're in, because of the diagnosis? If you feel like a faintly burning wick or a bruised reed, Be encouraged, friends. He is gracious, and he is here for you. Second thing, know that he seeks us and he serves us. It's no accident. Isaiah wrote his prophecy 700 years before Jesus came, and the plan had been in place much longer than that. It was no accident that Jesus came for us. He came because he wanted to reconcile us to God. That's why he came. Know that. And the third thing, 
come to him and find salvation. In light of what we have seen today in Scripture, may we, like Zechariah and Anna and Simeon, come to Jesus and bow before him and trust him for our hope for all eternity. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I can think of no better time than to do it today on Christmas to allow Jesus to take you by the hand and lead you to the light. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so very much for just the opportunity you've given us today to open your word and to study it. I, I pray now that as we continue this time of worship with singing from our children, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with joy just as, just as Anna's was when she saw Jesus for the first time. May, may you now be honored as we, as one big church family, gather to worship you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.